today. And so if you want to open up to that, um, there is a place in there for you to take some notes, um, Matrix with the Body of Christ, and it's about our relationships with the world. And we use the table to illustrate those here at Restoration Church. Um, it's the, the table of intimacy, our relationship with God, which we, as a reminder, never leave. We're always at the table of intimacy. The table of communion that we sit at with the body of Christ. Um, it's always a part of who we are. And then the table of connection, where we sit with um, unbelievers, people that are not yet followers of Christ. We try to connect with them. And the goal in our lives is to sit at these tables more readily, more constantly, to get to a place where we recognize in conversation or in relationship where we are. Am I sitting at the table of communion? Because the words I choose, the conversation I have, depends on what table I'm sitting at. And so um, we want to make sure that we uh, are aware of that. So last week we talked about part 12, Church Matters. Um, I already alluded to that, and so I'm not going to take time to do it. But part 13, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? And so they're going to give you some information, some descriptions, um, some definitions in, in part 13 in your book there. We have talked about the kingdom of God over and over again. We're going to do it more and more as we go. But what I've titled this message today is the messy middle. The messy middle. Um, we, as human beings, we like everything to be clean and neat. We like black and white. We like to draw lines. Like in the church, we like to know um, we still got a major ring. I don't know if we can do, uh, at least I'm hearing it up here. I don't know if you're hearing it out there. So, um, But the, the, we like to draw lines, especially in the church, because we want to know like who's in, who's out, who's a believer, who's an unbeliever, um, who's a part of our church, who's a part of that church. We like, we like things to be clearly defined. Uh, we like boxes. We like to know the destination before we start the journey. Uh, we're not like Abraham. We're not like, we don't like it when God comes and says, hey, take this step and I'm going to show you where you're going. How about you show me where we're going and then I'll take the step. But we, we say big things when we're praying, when we're, pe when we're in our devotion time, when we're in church services, we're like, yeah, God, I surrender all. I give everything for you. And then during our daily lives, like sometimes that doesn't always connect. There's a, a messy middle. So life in the kingdom is not always black and white. Life in the kingdom is not always as clearly defined as we want it to be. And I believe Jesus came to the earth to clarify the kingdom of God for us. And my hope for us as Restoration Church is that we will be a church that is thoughtful, a church that is intentional, and a church that is scriptural when it comes to conversations we have, theologies that we keep, um, things that we participate in, the ways we interact with our community, because we live in what I'll call a soundbite culture. Soundbite culture. So we'll take, you know, a clip here and a clip there, a phrase from somebody's book, uh, one, one line from a sermon. You'll fall asleep during most of my sermon today. You'll hear one thing I said, and you'll latch onto it, and you'll, you'll just say, Pastor Tom said this. This is the type of culture that we live in today. And so we react to what we think people said more so than what we've 
they've actually said. And we mislabel people, we misquote people, we twist what's been said. Sometimes we even ourselves will twist the scripture because we're lazy. We don't really want to do the work of actually studying the scripture or seeing how that fits in context or seeing how that fits with other things in the scripture. And so we'll just make these broad statements and we're not even sure they're correct, but we've got a scripture to back it up. As I told you last week, many people will say, you know, you should just read the Bible. Don't read other people's like thoughts on the Bible. Just read the Bible. Which, as I told you last week, and I'll try not to do it in a mocking way, um, but anytime you read in English or any language you speak other than Hebrew or Greek, anytime you read a translation of the Scripture, you're reading someone else's opinion. If you noticed, if you take a, like an NIV Bible from 1984 and you put it right beside an NIV Bible today, you'll notice there's a lot of change. Because as we uncover things in archaeological finds and as we learn more about the, the ancient Eastern cultures, we begin to change, not major changes, but enough that maybe some of the things we keep repeating, we shouldn't be repeating. And so today, what I want us to do is start looking at and thinking about what the kingdom of God is and how we live in it, how we respond to it. So culturally, in, in the church world, we tend to respond to things um, based on what we were taught or what we maybe think one scripture says. And so we're going to start with talking a little bit about what's happening in the Middle East. Um, you know, all over social media right now, I stand with Israel. I stand with Israel. In fact, I had a friend in, on Facebook that went so far as to say, if your church did not pray for Israel yesterday, you need to take a good hard look at yourselves. I'm going to take a deep breath. When I went to Israel, um, that's the, the mindset I kind of went in with. Um, and so the trip that we took intentionally tried to expose us to things that would mess up our worldview. So we visited Bethlehem, which is a Palestinian-controlled area. So our Israeli guide wasn't allowed to come with us. We had to have a Palestinian guide. She was a Christian. Yeah, she's, she's a Christian. She's a, a, she's a part of the country of Palestine. Sometimes we think that Palestinians are terrorists. They're not. Hamas is a terrorist organization. Now, maybe the leaders of certain countries are allowing these terrorist organizations to dwell within their country, and they should not. But I guarantee you, there are Christians today, I ate in one of their restaurants in Bethlehem, who serve the Lord Jesus Christ and would long to have a country of their own in a place where they can call their own, and they live in Palestine. Now, I don't know what to do with it. Do I stand with Israel? Yeah. Do I stand with Palestinian Christians? Yeah. Do I stand with the idea that God wants us to pray for mercy upon even the most uh, egregious people in our society that are committing crimes against children? Unthinkable atrocities? We're supposed to pray for God's mercy on them? Yeah. Welcome to the messy middle. And so the moment we start drawing lines and saying, you have to believe this and you have to believe that, uh, we we do a disservice to what the kingdom of God is all about. Another hot topic for us today is homosexuality. Uh, I read a book years ago called Messy Grace, 
which deals with how to handle people that are in homosexual lifestyles that don't know what the Scripture teaches on it. Now, I want to be clear. I believe the Scripture is very clear. It's, it's pretty black and white as to what homosexual behavior and activity uh, is. It's, it's sin. That does not mean the way we interact with people who are in a homosexual lifestyle is also black and white. It's the messy middle. Now, Andy Stanley is like wading deep into this right now, and I haven't listened to a thing Andy Stanley has said or done, and I've got friends who have and have shared stuff with me, and I'm grateful that Andy's having the conversation. I am tired of everybody like thinking they know more than Andy but aren't involved in the conversation. So be careful when you put down what someone else is saying. Uh, critique it, absolutely. Make sure that you're following what's true. We don't want to give in to, to something that because, well, I feel bad for people, so I want to try to like make the Bible say something it doesn't say. Well, we can't get into that either. That's not correct. So we have to wade through some of these issues and some of these topics, and we have to be careful how we handle them. We want to be thoughtful. We want to be intentional. We want to be scriptural. And above all, we want to be known for love. Above all. The challenge that we put in front of you in 2023 is learning to, to read the Scripture with fresh eyes, to learn to ask questions, not just to skim over stuff that's like, well, I don't understand what that means. Well, find out what it means. It might be important. I mean, it does say that all Scripture is God-breathed, and it's profitable for correction and teaching and training and rebuking. So don't keep living this life where, well, I don't understand that one. Dig in. Let's start finding out what's going on here. Because most of us, we, we read the Scripture through the lens of what we've been taught, not through the lens of actually what's in front of us. Let's go back to the Garden of Eden for a minute. Like, we've talked about in this book that sin separates us from God. We're no longer in relationship with God because of sin. So my question is, um, remember, I'm asking questions today, not making statements. So there's a difference. So please make sure that you don't leave here to saying, Pastor Tom said this. No, Pastor Tom asked you to think about something. Adam and Eve sinned. And God comes to them. Has a conversation with them. How is he there? I mean, he can't be in the presence of sin. What on earth is he doing there? Cain and Abel. Cain murders his brother. And yet, where's God? Right with Cain. Enoch. Okay, can I tell you something? Enoch is a sinner, right? He's a sinner. He walks with God so much so that God just takes him. How? 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 I mean, like these are things we just read over and we're like, wow, God took him. And I'm like, how did God take him? That doesn't really fit our theology. Like, like, how does it, welcome to the messy middle. Now, I'm not trying to get you to leave here today and say, oh my goodness, we can't know anything. No, but I want you to know when you get to the place where you're arrogantly like, no, this is the way it is. We live in the messy middle. And you and I have to walk through this, this life and say, what's actually happening in the Garden of Eden? What's actually happening when Moses can see God on the mountain face to face? Like, huh? Like, what's going on? So Jesus steps onto this planet, 
the Son of God comes in human flesh because he wants to help us to understand what the kingdom of God is like. Because the people of God were not seen correctly. So he comes to help correct them. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus says clearly, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. What Jesus is saying in cultural context is I've come to show you what was always intended by the Torah, by the prophets. What you have done is you've taken part of it and you've zoomed in on it so much that you're missing it. In the area of the Sabbath, they zoom in so much on the Sabbath that Jesus, can I tell you, Jesus never broke Torah when it comes to the Sabbath. Never. He broke some of their interpretations of it because they had zoomed in too far. What happens when we zoom in on one truth too closely is we walk in error. Like people that are like, oh, Pastor Tom, we got to do something about abortion. Abortion is like the, the great sin of our world today. It's a sin. It's not the great sin of our world today. Pastor Tom, we got to stop sex trafficking. we got to do something about sex I agree, we do. There are a lot of things we've got to do something about. But the, the, the problem is, is I get this one thing that I want to do. And I, I get so latched onto it. And then when other people aren't as passionate as me, those people don't care. Well, they care. They're just, they're, but maybe God has lit you up to keep bringing it to all of us so that all of us in some way can play a part. And maybe when you serve in that area, as a member of our body, our body is doing it because you're doing it. I mean, does this make sense? And what, what the Pharisees, what this group, these groups of people have done is they've zoomed in on stuff so much so that they're missing the big picture. And Jesus is like, uh, I'm going to show you the big picture. And so there's a quote. I didn't put it on the screen. It's in your book. Uh, what is the kingdom of God? I don't like any definition of the kingdom of God. Jesus is like over and over. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. The king and the minute you put a definition on it, it's like, eh. But we love our lines. So here's the definition. The kingdom of God is God's sovereign activity in the world, resulting in people being in right relationship with himself. That's a great definition. I don't disagree with it. But the moment we put it on paper, it's like we've limited to what the kingdom of God can be. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Repent means to turn. It means you think this is the way to view the world, and I'm telling you the kingdom is here, and you need to view it through kingdom lens. That's what Jesus is saying. Does it have anything to do with our sins and Jesus dying for us? Yes, that's a part of it. That's not all of it. The kingdom is, here is the way God always wanted the world to be. Jesus died, he was raised again, so the Spirit can be in us, so that, that that's a part of the gospel of the kingdom. That's just not the whole enchilada. And when we focus in on just one part of it, we miss a lot of it. And people today are like, well, the church shouldn't be involved in all these social issues because the church should just be about preaching the gospel. Well, the gospel is about setting things right. It's about meeting the needs of the poor. It's about caring about injustice. It's about caring about sex trafficking and abortion and those that can't... It's about all of that. That's all the gospel. Maybe not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but it's the gospel of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus taught. So... I've introduced these characters to you before, and so I'm going to put them up on the screen again. 
These are the groups of people that are around when Jesus comes to the earth. The groups, the Sadducees, these are the chief priests. They're the, the, the people that are in charge of the temple. They are absolutely corrupt. They're absolutely corrupt. If there is someone like Zechariah in the scripture that, that says, Zechariah was a righteous priest. That's there to let you know he wasn't a part of the corruption. The rest of them, corrupt. Jesus hung out for three years with the Pharisees. Now, there was some tension, but he lived with them for three years. He spent one week with the chief priests and the, the Sadducees, and they killed him. One week. That's the corruption. Money, power, politics, all of it, right there. The second group is the Pharisees. The Pharisees are a part of a group called the Hasidim. They're the righteous people. They understand the corruption of the temple, so they go north into the Galilee. And these people are all about righteousness. They're all about the, the acts of mercy. This is what's so weird because the Pharisees start getting too close to the, the righteousness part, and then they lose the mercy part. But they start out by being involved in mercy acts, in righteous acts. And there is, their idea is, if we keep the Torah correctly, Messiah will come. If we keep the Torah correctly, Messiah will come. So we're going to do that. The zealots, <laughs> these are the guys that are like, let's get the sword and let's just run it through the Romans. Come on. The Romans, they deserve death. They're Gentiles. <laughs> yeah, zealots. Now, they're Jewish. They're just zealots. The Herodians. I love the Herodians. The Herodians, my description of the Herodians, they're Jewish. They believe in the Messiah, but they're like, hey, when in Rome, you know, we're, we're just going to do what the Romans do. The Essenes, uh, the, the Essenes are the only group we don't see mentioned in our scripture. Uh, we know from Jewish history they existed. They lived in the wilderness. Like They were like, we're out of here. The, everyone's corrupt except us. We're the only group that's right. We're going to go do our thing in the wilderness and wait for Messiah to show up. There's the Essenes. So Jesus comes on the scene because for Jewish eschatology, look at, look at this diagram on the top. The Jewish eschatology teaches that there's an age that's on the, the world should be the next slide. The old age, the Messiah is going to come and he's going to be the king and then there's a new age. That's what the Jews think. This is what's going to happen. So the Pharisees are like, in order to get Messiah to come, we got to keep Torah. you got to keep Torah. So in order to keep you from breaking Torah, we're going to add these laws so that you don't even get close to breaking Torah. And then those laws weren't working, so we're going to add laws to those laws, and we're going to do all these things because by our righteousness, the, the Messiah will come. You understand that's not right? Okay, Jesus comes and he's like, no, you guys are missing it. The zealots think in order to have Messiah, we need to just kill all the Romans and then the Messiah will come. We're going to clear the way for him. Praise God. Shoot them all. Like, get rid of them. Like, these are the zealots. And we know that they're not right, but um, Jesus understands this, this idea that we're going to take him by force and make him king. Like, that's zealot ideology. The Essenes, they're just living out in the wilderness and they're waiting for it. Like, they're, they're, they know it's coming because God's will cannot be changed. He's coming. Everyone else is corrupt. We're going to wait here. Um, we don't want to get contaminated by all you corrupt people. The Herodians, hey, Messiah's coming, but we're just going to enjoy the Roman Empire until he comes. 
Like, nothing wrong with that, I guess. So there you are. And the Sadducees, total corruption. They're not even looking for Messiah anymore because they know if Messiah comes, they're going to lose power and money. So they really don't want the Messiah. So those are the groups. And Jesus comes right into it, and he puts some Pharisees, and he puts some zealots, and he puts some different groups all on his discipleship core, and they're all looking at each other like, what's he doing here? Like, Matthew's a tax collector. He's a Herodian. Why on earth would you pick him? Because every group thinks they're the right group. And Jesus is like, all of you kind of bring something to the table, but none of you actually got it right. But I'm going to help you, and I'm going to help you see it. So he, let's look at some passages. Kingdom of God, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, most of the, I'm reading it from what's called the Tree of Life version. Um, most of your translations are going to have some of this in the footnotes because they're like, well, some manuscripts, some don't, but here you go. So Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It was about time for Jesus to be taken up into heaven. So he turned, or he, some translations will say, he set his face toward Jerusalem. Like Jesus knows what's about to happen on his way to Jerusalem. That's why he starts telling his disciples clearly, hey, I'm going to die. I'm, they're going to kill me. I'm going to be raised in three days. Hang on. Like, it's going to get bumpy, guys, but I'm with you. So he starts going toward Jerusalem. He was sure that nothing would stop him from going. Okay? He's, he's going. He sent men ahead of him. They came to a town in Samaria. Ooh. So Samaritans, the disciples would have referred to them, it's kind of a derogatory term, the disciples would have referred to them as half-breeds. They were part Jewish, part Gentile, and they were mixing Jewish culture with uh, other cultures, and it wasn't okay in their eyes. Jesus does not say this is good. In fact, he interacts with a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman, and the disciples are like, what are you doing? I love that Jesus is always messing up their little lines. So they come to a town in Samaria, and they get things ready for Jesus. Verse 53, the people did not want him there because they knew he was on his way to Jerusalem. You're going to Jerusalem. We don't think Jerusalem is where you worship. We worship here on this mountain. You should worship on this mountain with us. It's all about who's right, where you should worship. So we don't want you. If you're not going to do it our way, get out. Praise the Lord for that great mentality. So James and John, like good evangelical Christians, say, Lord, do you want us to speak so fire will come from heaven and burn them up as Elijah did? You know what they did? They even got scripture. I mean, Elijah did it. We should do it. Let's burn them up. They rejected you. I'm offended for you, Jesus. So I want all of your enemies to be crushed. You know, we mistake the Psalms because the psalmists sometimes are like, may all of your enemies be dashed to pieces. Their, their pregnant women will be ripped open. So what the psalmist is doing is recognizing, hey, this is how I feel, but I know I should not take vengeance into my own hands, so I'm going to give it to you. The psalmist isn't saying God's going to do these things. The psalmist is saying, this is what I would do if I was God, but I'm not, thankfully, so I'm going to put it with you. And so don't read the Psalms and think, oh, wow, that's atrocious. God's going to do that? God's not going to do that. That's not who he is. Okay, so keep in mind, you can take a scripture out of context, just like James and John, and you can justify your bad attitude and your hateful speech. It doesn't make it truth. That's what Jesus is saying. So Jesus turns, and he spoke sharp words to them. He said, you do not know what kind of spirit you have. What you're doing is actually empowering the spirit of this age. 
This isn't why I've come. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives. He came to save them from the punishment of sin. They went on to another town. Jesus is not preaching this idea of universalism where everybody just is going to get in. But Jesus is, is come to bring mercy to the people that don't deserve it. Which, by the way, is all of us. Even though we think there are certain people that deserve it less, none of us deserve it. And yet he pours it out and he expects us to do the same. When we engage with people in these war of words or we use derogatory terms to put other groups down, all we're doing is empowering the spirit of the age. These people have been taken captive by the enemy to do his will. They've been blinded by the God of this age. If you want to follow the book of Romans chapter 12, if you want to overcome that evil, overcome it by doing good. Because when you do good for people, what you're doing is you're disarming the spirit of this age, hoping to be able to open the eyes of people to receive the message of, of hope. That's what it's all about. It's not just about glossing over their sin and pretending there's no sin there. It's about disarming what's there, keeping them from receiving. You can walk around with your little uh, signs and picket and say God hates these groups. That's not going to open anybody's eyes. In fact, that's going to just empower the spirit of the age and blind them even further. This is the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, is having dinner at Matthew's house. Well, Matthew's a Herodian. Matthew's a tax collector. What is Jesus doing? The Pharisees are like, Jesus, the Messiah won't come until everyone is righteous. You need to stop it. You're hindering the Messiah. <laughs> I mean, this is literally what they're thinking. The Messiah's sitting at the table, and they're like, you're hindering the Messiah from coming. That's why they're so upset because it, you gotta, people, we got to get right so that Jesus will come back. Can I tell you, you'll never get right enough. <laughs> That's why Jesus came. That doesn't mean we should live however we want. In fact, if you, if you don't have to clarify, when you preach the gospel, if you don't have to clarify, that doesn't mean you should live however you want. You're not preaching the gospel correctly. Every time Paul taught it, he had to say, but should I go on sinning? No, that's not what I'm saying. So preaching the gospel correctly means you have to clarify. I'm not saying just live however. Jesus is eating with these tax collectors and these sinners, and the Pharisees say, why does your teachers eat with them? In fact, one version, Luke's version, I believe, calls them scum. Why is your teacher eating with the scum? On hearing this, Jesus says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. I, I don't care if you get it all right. I want your heart to overflow with mercy where you're upset that the tax collectors and the sinners are being kept out and I've come to bring them in. Now, they, they have to come in just like everyone else through the way. You can't make special exceptions for people because you feel bad or you want to empathize with them, but you can walk with them. You can love them even as they reject Jesus and keep praying mercy over them. You can keep disarming the spiritual forces that blind them and you can walk with them, bringing them to that. Again, Jesus sitting with them and eating with them is not breaking the Torah. In fact, Jesus over and over says, you, you are shutting the door to the kingdom in people's faces. The way that they have interpreted the scripture is wrong. Jesus is not validating their behavior, but he is validating their lives. Oh, welcome to the messy middle. 
How do we do that, Pastor Tom? How do we validate people's lives without validating their behavior, without giving them the wrong idea that the way they're living isn't a sin? I don't know. One day at a time, one relationship at a time, covered in love and mercy, conversations, humility that says, you know what, I probably overstepped there. You know what, I probably said that in a harsh tone, and I, I, I apologize. I, I don't know how to wade through the messy middle, but I know that the Pharisees accused Jesus of validating their behavior. And if you try to walk with people that, whose lives are messy and you sit with them at church, you're going to get accused of validating behavior. It doesn't mean you are. But we also have to be careful that we don't. I know, it's the messy middle. I love that title because I can just say it and it makes everything okay. <laughs> Luke chapter 24. Jesus says to his disciples, How foolish you are. How slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. So Jesus had spent three years with them. And they're still, he's still like, you're still slow of heart. Like, you, you could walk with the Son of God physically for three years and still not get it. You know what that ought to tell us? Be careful when you think you're sure. Be careful when you think you stand firm lest you fall. I'm not asking you to throw out all your theology. Please don't throw out all your theology. Just listen. Grow. Study. Learn. Pray. Walk in humility. Even after the day of Pentecost, the disciples still haven't gotten this. They still haven't. It took Jesus taking Peter to Cornelius' house for them years later for them to understand the Gospels for the Gentiles too. Okay, you understand, we might have a few things wrong. Be careful how we live and how we walk this out. In Luke chapter 17, one day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Jesus replied, the kingdom of God cannot be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. Now, before you say, well, so we can never tell? No, Jesus isn't saying there's never any signs, but what these guys are looking for is the box, the line. How do we know when someone's in the kingdom, when someone's out of the kingdom? How do we, where do we draw the lines, Jesus? Where's the sign? Where's the, the visible markers? And Jesus is like, it's not about that. It's just about bringing everybody in. Whatever it takes to get people in. Walk with people. Journey with people. After all, you don't know who's in and who's out. You're going to go to church. There's going to be weeds. There's going to be wheat. Let it lie. When you get to the kingdom, in the end, the angels will separate them. Don't you try to do it. Just try to bring everyone closer to Jesus. Just get people to Jesus. Do, so we never confront people? No, we confront people. Not every time we see them. Not everything they do. But yeah, there's a time to confront. Welcome to the messy middle. Jesus confronted. John chapter 6. He fed the 5,000. And then the 5,000 come and look for him. They find him on the other side of the lake. And he's like, hey, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs and you understand who I am, but because you ate loaves. 
and you had your fill. You're serving me for what, you, for what I'm giving you physically. You're serving me because you think I'm going to just make everything okay in your life. Guess what? Psalm 88, baby, right there. It doesn't always work out the way we hope. Are you still going to follow me? I mean, remember when the rich man comes to Jesus, what do I got to do? And he walks away sad, and Jesus turns around to his disciples and says, you going to go too? John chapter 6, he says the same thing. Jesus starts talking to these people about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, and the people are like, dude, you're nuts. And Jesus turns to his disciples, he says, will you leave me too? They're like, where? well, we don't like this whole blood thing either, but where are we going to go? Because we know who you are. That's Psalm 88. I don't understand this right now, but I know who you are. So I'm going to keep drawing near. That's what it's all about. Jesus says, don't work for food that spoils, for food that endures for eternal life, which I will give you. For on the Son of Man, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. So they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? The work of of God is this. Believe in the one he sent. That's it? I just have to believe in the one he sent? Yep. Well, Pastor Tom, doesn't that mean we have to change our behavior? Yeah, it does. Welcome to the messy middle. I got another picture to show you. So this was kind of on the bottom, but this one's a little bit easier. So what's happened when Jesus gives his life, uh, when Jesus comes and announces the kingdom comes, the kingdom is inaugurated. So the kingdom is here. It's here. We're living in the kingdom. Already. Not yet. One day, Jesus is going to come and he's going to rule and reign on the earth again. And forever and ever, he will rule physically. That's the full consummation of the kingdom. Okay? That's how it ends. So you see the messy middle right there? This is the overlap. Already, not yet. How do we live? Two scriptures that I want you to keep in mind as you walk through this week. Oh, so much time. We're going to get you out of here on time today. Two things. Here's the first one. Matthew chapter 10. As you live in the messy middle, do this. Proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely be received. Freely give. Believe in the supernatural power of God to invade any moment. Any moment. Pray for people. Expect God to show up. They don't have to be saved before they get healed. Just believe that where you go, you carry the kingdom. If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God lives in you, everywhere you go is a temple of God. Anything can happen. Can I tell you, every prayer that you don't pray will not get answered. 100% of the time. When you don't pray, God doesn't answer. When you pray, you significantly raise the odds that God's going to show up. Significantly. Oh, but Pastor John, what if I pray for them to get healed and they don't get healed? What if they do? What if they start running around the street and then a crowd gathers and they're like, what'd you do? And you say, by the name of Jesus, I told him to be healed. I mean, it, it happened over and over. And Jesus says, do it. Now, there's a practical side too. One of my favorite characters in the Old Testament is Elisha. 
I mean, Elijah was good. He's a little fiery for my taste. Uh, he just likes to burn everybody up. He's the John the Baptist. Yeah, I'm not sure what to do with that one. But Elisha comes, and Elisha does major supernatural miracles. But he also does some practical things. I mean, there's poison in the stew, so he puts in a little bit of flour, and he's like, hey, and now it's good. You want to test it? How about you be the first one to try that? <laughs> I mean, there's an axe. Oh, I borrowed an axe head and it's in the water. What do I do? And throws a stick in and, of course, it floats to the top. Like, it's a combination of supernatural and practical. Now, you might not be able to get a stick in the water and have an axe head float, but maybe you could help buy a new one. Matthew chapter 25, the second verse you need to remember as you go this week. The king, in the middle of a parable Jesus taught. The king says to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you look after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will be like, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? These are the people that are in. <laughs> and they're shocked. They're like, we didn't even know. And he says to this in verse 40, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So what do you want to do? You want to do this week? You want to heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers? You want to do that. You also want to look for people that are hungry and just give them something. You want to look for people that are thirsty, and maybe you can't do everything, but maybe you can do something. Maybe you want to buy some food and put it on the shelves at the Salvation Army. I hear right now that they're struggling. I mean, well, man, money's really tight right now. Spend five bucks. I mean, if everyone in Huron spent five bucks on groceries this week, took them to the Salvation Army, they wouldn't have room for it. But because I can't do everything, I do nothing. That's a lie of the spirit of this age. I mean, do something. Just open your heart to say, God, I need to start seeing the people around me that need me to step in. I don't have time to spend three hours visiting people that are maybe in the nursing home. Maybe you can send a text message to someone who's sick. Like, Whatever you can do, just do it, practically and supernaturally. That's what we do. That's the kingdom. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had, and he bought the field. See, in our day today, we have the same groups Jesus had. We don't call them Herodians, but we have people that are like, you know, Jesus is coming back, but I just want to enjoy life. You know, is there anything wrong with watching a little sports? Is there anything wrong with, you know, being a little extra frivolous with my money? No, there, there's not. Be careful that you don't compromise too much. Be careful that you don't spend all that you have on things that are just going to disappear. Spend it for eternity. How do I do more? I don't know if you've ever seen Schindler's List, 
But at the end of the movie, it's just so moving where he begins to understand this watch. Man, if I would have sold this watch, how many more could that have bought? How many, could, how many would have not died in the concentration camp? I mean, think about it. I mean, the sheer number of, of souls that were lost in the concentration camp. What's two more? It's the heart of the Father. One more. I'll leave the 99 to go after the one. I want you to walk around feeling guilty for having a nice watch. But I want us to start catching the heart of the Father. The Pharisees put too much emphasis on rules and, and rituals and telling everybody how they have to live. Don't be a Pharisee. Find out what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You find yourself getting caught up telling everybody else how to live? Just start being merciful to people. It'll break that spirit right off of you. The zealots, man, for those that just want to nuke them all, it's so hard to try to have these conversations with people. Because I know the atrocities that are committed against children. are unspeakable. But us entering into that conversation saying we just need to castrate the sickos empowers the spirit of the age. Absolutely. We got to free children. We got to put people in protective behind bars. Absolutely. But we also need to declare the mercy of God over their lives. These groups still exist. But you and I, if we want to come into the kingdom, it takes everything. It takes everything. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to sell all your possessions, but you have to give up the right to be right. You have to be willing for Jesus to sit you at the table with someone you'd rather not sit with. Because if you start saying, Jesus, I surrender all. I'm going to give everything to you. I want to walk in your kingdom. I guarantee you the first thing he's going to ask you to do is going to be the hardest thing and the thing you don't want to do. Well, that doesn't sound like a loving God. Yeah, it does. Because he wants you to start having his heart. And his heart is for you and for the one that you hate, your enemy. That's the kingdom. And I know I didn't give you a lot of things to walk away with today that say, man, Here's how you should believe. I just gave you the right to live in the messy middle. Start having some conversations with people. Start studying more. Get some resources. Don't skim over texts that are hard to understand. Dig in. Be merciful to people. Show love and compassion. Walk in humility. Carriers of the kingdom everywhere we go. And so, Father, thank you that you have never treated us as our sins deserve. Not one time. Holy Spirit, help us to catch the heart of our Father. In every conversation we have, we want to have the Father's heart. God, our world 
is atrocious right now. There is so much confusion. There's so much hatred. There's so much pain. So much brokenness. It's easy for us to get cynical, just tired. So Holy Spirit, help us not to try in our own strength to fix it all. (laughs) Help us not to think that, man, we we just have to pray 24-7. We just have to fast every meal. But help us to be obedient when you do ask us to pray, when you do ask us to fast, when you do ask us to surrender, when you do ask us to hold our tongue, when you do ask us to do good to those that that hate us, to bless those who curse us, not because they deserve it, but because we want to disarm the spirit of the age that's empowering it so that everyone can be rescued. Help us to bind up the strong man. (laughs) So we can ransack his house. Father, break our hearts for the things that break your heart. Do something in Restoration Church that's never been done before. Help us to be true to your word. Help us to be true to your heart. Help us to be a people displaying your glory, your love, your splendor, your power everywhere we go in supernatural and practical ways. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Man, that's that's a messy word. And uh, there's a lot to chew on. If you ever want to clarify something maybe you think I said, that's probably a good idea. Sometimes I have to clarify what I think I said too. So uh, I want to encourage you tonight, uh, House of Prayer, Empowered Youth downtown. Uh, We're probably going to spend some time in prayer for our city, for our nation, for our world. It's a mess, but God's on the throne and he wants us to be a part of building his kingdom in our prayers and in our practical lives as well. As always, there's probably some pop ice cream included after that too. So, you know, that's always a good thing as well. And so we want to encourage you to be there. Don't forget to stop by the table before you leave today. Uh, Offering baskets are there, calendars, information about the church. All of that is there. And then please don't forget your sticker when you pick up your kids today. God bless you as you go. Yeah.